and glory to his name. May he be high and exalted because he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who came and gave his life for us at Calvary. This is why we gather as followers of Jesus every Lord's Day to lift up Christ and to celebrate what he has come to do for us through his death and through his resurrection. My name is Kenneth Bruce and I'm the senior pastor here and it's a joy to welcome you this morning and thank you so much for gathering with us. If you're a guest, we have a gift we wanna give to you. So when you're dismissed in a few minutes, you can stop by the information desk where we can give you this gift to say thank you for gathering. For those of you engaging with us online, welcome. We love you and we are so grateful for you taking this time to meet with us this morning. And it's just a joy as your pastor to gather on this special day to lift up Christ with you, for all of us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who he is and what he has come to do for us in the gospel. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but uh, I'm sometimes a numbers geek. I enjoy statistics, especially those that I find fascinating. And so this week I did a little bit of research. And uh, did you know that one out of every three adult Americans still sleeps with a stuffed animal? Okay, some of you are like nudging somebody next to you right now. <laughs> He's called you out. Did you know that the average American eats 13 pounds of ice cream every year? Okay, now some of you are like, okay, that's me. I'm guilty, that's on me. I want you to know I'm doing my part, okay? I'm here to serve the collective good. Uh, I thought this was uh, also interesting that every month, there are 24 billion spam phone calls made. And they're all coming to me right now, okay? I'm, every month, okay? Now, this one was, I found fascinating. And this, is, this one, it has to be true. 73.6, 73.6% of all statistics are made up. <laughs> now, how you can prove that, I have no idea, okay? But I, I read that this week. But there is a statistic that I can guarantee you is true. And it's this. One out of every one of you are going to die. 100% of all of us will one day die. There's going to come a point in time in which the brain stops firing. Your heart stops beating. Your lungs will no longer be filled with air. You'll be placed six feet under dirt and be forgotten by the vast majority of the world. And see, for so many, they put away that idea of death. You see, death is sobering. It reminds us of an even greater reality that we are very temporary beings. We have a very short time here on this planet. And yet far too many people do not take the time to consider or think about that reality. They, they, they cover it up with sports or entertainment and social media and neglect the call deep within their hearts that death is coming. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, God has put eternity into the hearts of all men. Everybody knows deep down inside that death is coming and then we'll be catapulted into eternity. And yet unbelievers, those who have not trusted in Christ, suppress the truth, Romans 1. They don't want to think about the reality of our own finality. That this truth that one day we will all take our last breath. But you see, 
for those who follow Christ, we are not those who panic. We are not those who fear over the reality of death. Why? It's because what we celebrate today in the death and resurrection of Jesus, death has died. And that is why we celebrate. And that is what the Apostle Paul is pointing us to in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's all good. You can pull it up on your phone uh, via the Westwood app or through another Bible app that you may have on your phone. So we'll study the scriptures together as you're turning there. I want you to know that Lord willing, next week, we're gonna pick right back up in our study of the gospel of Mark. We'll be jumping into chapter 13 as we look at the end times where the little mini series is called The End of the World as We Know It. And some of you are already thinking about your seventh grade CD from REM, okay? The end of the world as we know it. We look around and see the world falling apart, but as followers of Jesus, we understand that the world is just falling into place. So we'll be studying the end times beginning next week. Second Timothy is the Apostle Paul's farewell letter to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy. Paul and Timothy first meet in Acts 16, where Paul is going through Lystra. And the church there in Lystra says, hey, Paul, this guy, Timothy, he's the real deal. Loves the Lord. He's faithful. He's a godly man. He's been raised by a single mom. His father was a man who didn't know the Lord. And so his mom and his grandmother, we see in 2 Timothy 1.5, were those who raised him up. They taught him the scriptures from infancy, 2 Timothy 3. And this is a man that needs to learn more. And so Paul says, Timothy, you come with me. So Timothy joins Paul on his second missionary journey as he goes around from city to city, preaching the gospel and planting churches. And while, it's, while he's on this trip, he's learning how to lead. He's learning how to disciple. He's learning how to preach. He's learning how to be a pastor. And Paul is writing him this second letter, this last farewell before he himself is catapulted into eternity. Paul knows that his time of death is drawing near. In fact, he says in chapter four, verse six, the time for my departure is close. He knows that he is days, maybe weeks away from being beheaded for his faith in Christ. In 2010, Christy and I, we were flying to Ethiopia to pick up our sons and we had a three-day layover in Rome. While we were there, we got a chance to see the Colosseum and the Palatine Hill and all of the sites. But we got an opportunity to go by uh, Mamertime Prison, where the Apostle Paul was in prison writing this letter. And we took just a moment and sat down and we read on the steps, Second Timothy. And I praised God for how he has preserved his word that 2,000 years later, here we are sitting on the very steps of where this letter was written. And God is allowing me to see what you see right here in your lap. God is faithful to preserve his word. And here is Paul writing to Timothy, a man who has suffered greatly for the gospel a man who has endured hardship and trial, a man who's gone through great pain for the sake of the spread of the gospel. And he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, do not be ashamed of the gospel 
Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus and don't be ashamed of me. But hey, share with me in suffering for the gospel and let's rely upon the power of God to sustain you in your suffering. This is where we pick up in chapter one, beginning with verse nine. Paul says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." Death is coming for everyone. No matter your income, your strength, your age or social status, death comes to us all. And yet Easter changes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ is where everything changes for those who believe. For those who have trusted in Christ, I want you to see this morning what is true for you. I want you to see first, number one, Jesus came to rescue you. He came to rescue you. Verse nine, Paul says, he saved us and called us. That word saved, it means to rescue from danger, to rescue from destruction. You see, outside of Christ, all of us were dead in our sins and trespasses. All have fallen, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, because of our sin, we're guilty before a holy God. We are those who have sinned and we must receive our just punishment. And that punishment is death. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. For when Adam fell in the garden, death was one of his consequences. In Genesis chapter three, verse 19, the Lord says, Adam, you will return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. You see, death entered into the world through the sin of the first Adam. But praise God, there is a second Adam. Whereas the first Adam was from the earth, the second Adam was from heaven. Whereas the first Adam lived for himself, the second Adam died for the world. Whereas the first Adam brought death in his life, the second Adam brought life through his death. You see, Jesus Christ is the second Adam who came to reverse the curse of the first Adam. Because of sin, we were headed for danger. We were headed for the destruction of God's just judgment of eternal death in hell. But then Jesus came to rescue all who call upon him by faith. He came to save us, to rescue us from sin and death and hell and the grave. You see, this picture of being saved, as we see in scripture, it's not like we are those who are drowning in a lake and then someone tells us about Jesus and we grab hold of the life preserver of Jesus and we're saved. That's not the picture. The picture that the Bible shows us is that we are already dead at the bottom of the lake. 
We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were lifeless. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, reached down and brought us up. He gave us life. He put our feet on solid ground and he washed us. He got rid of the sin and the shame of our past, the evil in our hearts. He makes us clean. This is what God has done for us in the gospel. If you've banked your soul upon Christ, you were dead, but now you are alive. This is what God has done for you in Christ. You have been saved. You have been rescued. You may be thinking, but man, there's no way God could forgive me for what I've done. The, the sin of what I've done, the horrible, awful things that I've said, the depraved attitudes of my heart. Man, if God only knew what I've said and done, hear me, the Bible says he already knows and he still loves you. He still loves you. The beauty of God's grace is that he still loves broken people like us. He's fully aware and still loves you. And Jesus stands ready to save all who call upon him. The prophet Zephaniah said it like this in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is among you. He is mighty to save. You may be thinking, man, there's no way God could ever forgive me. I want you to know that Jesus's death was enough. He is the Lord and he is mighty to save. He will rescue all who call upon him. The beauty of the gospel is that God shows his love through the death of his son. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son that through the cross, God says, I wanna show you how much I love you. And it's gonna be through the crushing of my son on your behalf. This is what Jesus came to do, is he came to rescue you. But here's what's key of what we must understand about this rescue. I want you to see that Jesus's rescue is free. It's free. Look at verse nine. He says that we were saved, we were rescued, not according to our works. You see, we are not made right with God by our good works. It's not how strong we are or how good we are, how moral we are. There's no amount of good works that can pay back for the evil in our hearts. There's no amount of good intentions that can make us right before God's perfection. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Titus chapter three, he says, but when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. You see, it's not by your good works that God rescues you. He doesn't look upon your efforts and says, yes, that's someone worthy of my salvation. That's not how it works. Because in and of ourselves, we are unable by our good works to earn God's favor. It is 
purely by his mercy. Paul emphasizes this here, verse nine. We are saved not according to our works, but it's his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Now imagine as a parent, your child has been begging and pleading for a toy. They want so badly to receive this gift. And so the day comes of their birthday. You buy the toy, put it in the box, wrap it up. And then you slide it across the table. Here you go. Celebration. Here's your gift. Excited, they rip open the paper. They open the box and there's the gift. Yes, they celebrate. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. They then run to their room and come right back holding their piggy bank. And they break it open and they take the money and they say, here you go. This should pay for the gift. Now, as a parent, you would be offended by that, insulted. This was a free gift. This was my way of showing you how much I love you. You don't need to pay me back for this. This was a free gift. When you trust in your good works to make you right with God, you insult him. You offend him. What you're saying is the cross was not enough. You rob God of glory. You minimize the cross when you trust in your own goodness rather than trusting in the good work of Jesus for you. We are not those who trust in our good works. We're banking our souls upon the work of Jesus. You see, we are just like that child who tries to pay their parents back when we try to pay God back from the piggy bank of our good works. This is why Jesus came to rescue us from this idea that we can trust in our good works. Isn't it true? The Pharisees, they were like, man, Look at how awesome I am. Look at all the good works that I do. And Jesus says, you are far from the kingdom. You see, it's those who realize they don't deserve it are those who are the first ones who are eligible to get in. You must realize that you cannot save yourself. You cannot pull up the bootstraps on your own salvation. You cannot muster the strength in and of yourself. You see, the gospel is designed to magnify the glory of God to the praise of his grace, verse nine, displayed through his son. You see, this free rescue that God offers is costly. It cost Jesus his life. Though it is yours for the taking, it costs Jesus everything. Well, what do we do? How do we respond? It's the same way as if someone gave you a gift. You receive it. You, you, you grab hold of it. And then you glorify the giver and say, thank you. Well, this is what God has done for those who believe the gospel. We have received salvation. We've trusted in Christ. We're saying, man, God, thank you for the rescue. Thank you that you've saved me. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it, but thank you. I praise your name. Thank you for this good gift you've given to me in your son. This, this free gift, it's mine to receive. You see, the gospel sweeps us off of our feet of self-righteousness so that we might fall into the loving arms of Jesus is that you and I, we're now not banking in our good works. We're banking on Jesus's good works for us. 
He offers you rescue for free, and it's verse 9, given to you. Like a parent who gives a good gift to their child, God has given you the greatest gift ever, his one and only son who goes to the cross and pays for your sin, who through his shed blood has made a way for you to be made right with God through him. And this is what makes grace so amazing is that it's not up to us. It's not dependent upon us. It is all of his good work for us. God has given you his son. And so today, would you trust in him? Would you bank your soul upon the Lord Jesus Christ? If you've never given your life to Jesus, would today you say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm no longer trusting in my good works. I'm no longer trusting in dead religion. I'm no longer gonna be identified or defined by my past, by my shame, by all the foolish things I've done, said and thought. Jesus, I believe what you did for me was for all of me and your blood is enough to cover all of my sin. You bank your soul upon Jesus and he will receive you. He will not rub your face in your past. He does not shame you for everything you've ever done. He says, come to me. I'm gonna wash you. I'm gonna make you like my son. And I'm gonna be in a personal relationship with you. And we're gonna walk together even to the end of the age and beyond. I am your God. Look to the Lord Jesus. Receive his free salvation. But the second thing that we see in the text is that Jesus' rescue is forever. You notice when this gracious and free gift was given to you, look at verse nine. Before time began, (laughs) before the foundations of the earth had ever been laid, before God spoke light into existence, before the earth was ever made, God in Christ had already chosen you. He had already rescued you. From eternity past, God already had you in mind to lavish his grace. He knew of your sin. He knew of your selfishness and your pride. And yet he still had a plan to rescue you. Before the foundations of the earth had ever been laid, God secured your rescue. He secured your eternity in the past. It means that God is going to ensure that you are saved in the future. Okay, let me say it a different way. Since your rescue was secured in eternity past, you can have confidence that God is gonna keep his word to keep you secure to eternity future. This is what he goes on to say here in verse 12. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep, to guard that which has been entrusted to me until that day. You see, what God starts, God finishes. You can trust in him. It's his salvation that he has given to you for free and based upon his character, based upon the one who makes promises and keeps promises, based upon the one who keeps his word, he does so for the sake of his own name. You see, your salvation is as secure as the one who promised to secure it, God himself. God protects your salvation. And since he initiated it before time began, verse nine, you can rest assured that he will keep you until the last day. 
Your salvation is secure in Christ and his rescue is forever. Well, the second truth I want you to see here in the text is that death died in the death of Jesus. Paul says that this salvation, this rescue has been made evident through, verse 10, the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. That in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son at the perfect time. And he appeared to be our rescuer, our savior. And note what he did for us. Verse 10, Jesus abolished death. Isn't that amazing here? That word for abolished, it means to destroy. It means to take away power. Death has lost its power. Death is no longer in control over those who trust in Christ. Well, how did God take away its power? Through the cross. It's through the empty tomb. When Jesus died and rose again, the punishment that should have been laid upon us was laid upon him. And he suffered and died for us. This is why Mark says in Mark 8, 31, then Jesus began to teach that it was necessary for son of man to suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. You see, because the wages of sin is death, Jesus had to die. He must die. Pointing forward to the future Messiah, the prophet Isaiah was pointing forward to him who will swallow up death for all time. You see, when Jesus died, he not only took your sin, he died the death so that you don't have to. He took death and swallowed it up victoriously on the third day. This is why I just love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, where he starts trash talking death, right? He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The power of, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death. And y'all, this means everything. As someone who stands up here regularly and stands over caskets, what do we have to say to families? It's that Jesus died and rose again. And yes, we mourn, but not like those without hope. Because we have a crucified and risen Savior who defeated death. He robbed death of its power. It no longer has authority over you. If you are in Christ, death no longer has its grip on you. This is why we can celebrate. This is why we can boast in the cross. This is why we can gather as God's people and celebrate because the tomb is empty. We have a savior who bled and died on our behalf and who defeated death and is alive both now and forever. As he was looking towards the future, pulling back the curtain on what is to come, Jesus told the apostle John in Revelation chapter one, I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is alive both now and forever. And this gospel changes everything. You no longer need to fear death because death died in the death of Christ. Because of what Jesus did for us through his cross, 
And through his resurrection, it changes everything. Jesus defeated sin and death and hell and the grave, which means all of those things are off the table. You're now free and forgiven and you have life all because of what he did. That death died in the death of Christ. The third truth we see here in the text is that Jesus's victory over death, it means eternal life for you. So not only has Jesus abolished death, but he has, look at verse 10, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus not only secures, but he empowers you to have a full and abundant life in the here and now. This is why he said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. You see, when you repent of your sin and trust in Christ by faith, you possess life now and forever. He brought immortality to light. If, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want you to stare at verse 10. Stare at verse 10. Immortality. You are immortal. Even though physically you are going to die, spiritually you will never taste death. Death is off the table because Jesus died and rose again and he secures eternal life for you now and forever. It's both here and it is coming. This is why we can celebrate and get up on Sunday morning and wear pastels. This tie was laying out for me, by the way. And men, you know what that means. It means that you cannot spiritually die. You can't. I hope you feel the weight of this. This changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus means the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you already happened. It happened to Jesus. He took judgment so you don't have to. He took your hell that you deserved so that you don't have to. He took the death that we deserve to die on the cross. But he says, no, I'm going to take that for you. Why? Because I love you. And for the glory of my father, for the fame of his name and the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, the cross is where God goes on record and says, I want to show you how much I love you. And by you turning from your sin and trusting in my son, you're rescued. It's free. It's forever. Death has now died through my own death. And now guess what? Life, it's yours. You're immortal. Nothing can harm you. What can man do to you? Kill me? You send me straight to Jesus. You possess eternal life that can never be taken from you. And so now as a follower of Jesus, you can walk with confidence and purpose on Monday morning at 8 a.m. because Christ is alive. You have reason to wake up. You have reason to walk in victory. You have reason to apply the gospel to all of your life as one who forgives because you've forgiven, as one who blesses because you've been blessed, as one who's generous because God's been generous towards you. Out of the overflow of all that God has done for you in Jesus, it changes everything about you. This is the gospel. And y'all, there's nothing more important than this. This is why we gather at Easter is because this news changes everything. And it changes everything about you. Question, is Jesus everything to you? 
Is he just someone you tip a couple of times of year saying, okay, I acknowledge you? Or is he Lord over all of your life? Are you one in which you say, you know what, I'll give you Sunday mornings, but the rest of the other six and a half days are mine? You cannot be his disciple and give Jesus half of your heart. You come to him on his terms, not yours. And so what does he call for? You and I to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I follow you, not the other way around. Maybe today you're not a follower of Christ and you don't know Jesus yet. Well, the impact point is for you. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. God is offering you permanent and perfect relationship with him through the death of his son. What do I do? I believe, I trust. It means I'm banking my soul, not on my good works, but on the good works of Jesus. I'm banking my soul, not on my goodness, but upon his goodness. I'm trusting in what he did for me. I'm saying, God, my hands are empty. I throw them up and surrender. And I say, God, here's my heart and life. I'm yours. And I'm following you both now and forever. And this is where we posture ourselves. We get low before the one who made us and loves us and calls us by name. And we say, God, I am yours. All because you made me your own through the cross and the empty tomb. In John chapter 11, Jesus, one of his best friends, Lazarus, dies. He waits four days before he goes into town. When he gets there, Lazarus' sister meets him and she's, she's hurt. And she comes to Jesus and says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I believe that you are able to raise him. And Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, I love this, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone, whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Though physically, we are gonna take our last breath. Our hearts will stop beating. Our brains will stop firing. For all of us, we will be six feet underground and forgotten by the vast majority of the world. In that moment, all that matters is, do you know Jesus? Have you believed upon him? Have you banked your soul upon what he has done for you? And if the answer is no, then today humble yourself and by faith, cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. Everybody here might think I'm a Christian, but I know I'm not. Lord, would you save me? Would you rescue me? Lord, I've got a lot of things in my past I'm ashamed of, a lot of sin deep in my heart, but God, would you save me? And he will save you. He will rescue you because he is the Lord, our God, who is among us, and he is mighty to save. The vilest offender, who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. You can be washed and be made clean all by the grace of God because of the blood of Jesus at the cross for you. And so now you can rejoice and celebrate because death died. 
at the death of Christ. Look to him and be saved.